Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief Mark Legvold. Joining me today on Beneath the Wing is Senior Master Sergeant Jessica Todd. She's currently the Base Education and Training Manager in our Human Resources Section, aka our Force Support Squadron. She's also been busy preparing for deployment and a major inspection and recently was handpicked to work on the Secretary of Defense's Committee on Racial Equity in the Military, which we're going to get into. Uh, but she deployed to the National Capital Region for about what was it, five months? Six months. Six months this last year. So welcome. Thank you. Great to have you with us. Uh, so that's a lot of stuff in one intro, um, and we're not even scratching the surface. So why don't we start at the beginning? Uh, you came to the military in 96, but not quite fresh out of high school like most of our young folks. What brought you to the military? I had wanted to join the military through high school even, but it was figuring out exactly where to go and what I wanted to do in the military. I have a family history of men who served predominantly in the Navy, but also in the Air Force. And I had had interviews with recruiters from different services and was interested in going into medical. I was planning on majoring in psychology, and I wanted to be in a related career field in the military if I could. But finding the guard was just by chance. What were you looking at specifically? Active duty? Yes. Well, yeah. I took a wrong turn on the road, and that brought me to the guard. So how did you find the guard <laughs> by accident? At work. I worked for Best Buy Company, and back in the old days when they did long you know, financing applications, you would often talk to the customer while they were working on the application, getting everything input. And I was talking about recruiters mm -hmm. that I had met with, some funny stories and some not so fun. But at any rate, uh, right away, the individual says to me, well, what about the guard? And I said, what, what is the guard? And, and here we are. Yeah, that's how it got started. Wow. You walked walked on in straight out of the street and joined on up and wanted to go into the medical field, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, from from the very first meetings with recruiting, you know, just they said, just come on out, go go talk to folks over in medical and see what you think, and that's what did it. Mm -hmm. I was ready to join. People were more than happy to share information about their careers and development and. And that lots of opportunities for growth. So you started with our medical group, mm -hmm. and and for people that aren't necessarily tied into the to our uh, airlift wing, but know a little bit about the mil military, you think medical, and you think okay, doctors, nurses, uh, medical providers, doing good work with patients. Is that what our medical group does? Well, our our medical group is certainly to there to provide all of that care. Um, our medical group predominantly works with our members and ensuring that they're physically ready to go. But mm -hmm. I was I was in one of those specialty areas. I was a mental health technician. We still have those? No, not that not not on the books right now, but there's rumor that maybe maybe into the future we might again. It was a great opportunity though to learn a little bit more during annual training. I was able to work in both inpatient units as well as you know, mental health sections predominantly focused on life skills mm -hmm. and also to rotate over into the VA um, and in order to participate in a lot of exercises and, and you know, how, how you would handle during a readiness exercise if you had somebody that, that was exhibiting symptoms of sure. a mental health patient. Sure. And eventually you cross train and you got out of the medical career as a whole. You went into kind of an admin role for a little bit, and then did you go to small air terminal after that? I I went into education and training from there okay. and was in medical still and education and training. And I was in a master's program. 
at the time and balancing a career with Target Corporation, had a new family, had just just married Robin, and it was it was a lot on the plate. And there was an EGR position that opened over in the small air terminal. Active Guard Reserve. Yeah. So kind of yes. taking off the Target shirt and putting on camouflage every day. Well, right? I thought I was never going to get the job anyway, but why not throw your name in the hat? Sure. So I was a little, I was, I was surprised when I got the position, and it was wonderful to be able to serve full-time. Yeah. And you've been out here since what year full-time? 2007. 2007. And what year did you start out About the same. <laughs> we're, we're almost uh, career twins out here starting in 2007. Uh, which hey, you know, it was uh, it was great because I left uh, education job with St. Paul Schools and came on out here, and I don't have to worry about what color my if my tie matches my shoes, which I think that's how you're supposed to do it. But uh, I haven't had to worry about matching my clothes. It's been wonderful for me. <laughs> and agreed on business casual and business wear. I'm. I'm not sad to leave the heels in the closet by any means. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so 2007, you're brand new, uh, uh, full-time military person out here. You're working on your master's degree? Yes. What's your master's in? finishing it up. My master's is in organizational management with an emphasis on human resources. And how has that helped you out here? I would say it has. I would say that along with my undergraduate in psychology, and it was a, a Bachelor of Science program focused on um, experimentation, but also I went into applied behavior analysis as well. And I would say it, it all plays in not only to development as a whole, but particularly to education and training, mm -hmm. all of the skills, running not only, you know, completing the statistics and, and enjoying doing that some of the time, as well as having the background for development to assist with facilitation of courses. And, you know, over, overall, it has helped. And I certainly hope I'm able to give back the fruits of that education. So throughout your career using that, um, you've kind of had this theme of people develop and people interact. And that is a part of us maintaining our military readiness, right? Absolutely. So when it comes to the interaction of people, we're, we're talking this week uh, just having passed the one-year anniversary of uh, George Floyd's killing. And so much of what we've done here in Minnesota has been hinged to that. The guard has been used a lot. Um, and a lot of our folks have struggled with the, um, with the emotions surrounding race, equity, equality, um, basic human dignity. Um, how have you approached that? Um, I know you're, you guys are raising a daughter. Mm -hmm. How have you approached that in your family? What advice would you have for others that are, you know, struggling with the same things with their family and talking to their kids? I would say we approached it from many angles, but first was to just sit down and, and discuss it, you know, without any specific opinions other than just being set on discussing what was going on and, and how we could work through any issues that had come up. And for my daughter, it has been difficult and it has impacted relationships in different, different ways overall. And so it was important for us to work with her on communication with some of her friends, which, you know, I say lightly, I'm not necessarily um, educated in how to speak in the 15-year-old lingo, but, um, and how, how she can work on and, and deal with the emotions that she has, not only over the situation, over what was going on in Minneapolis, and, you know, we have, we have relatives that are, that live very close by, and, and so there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in that as well. But yeah, I think just just overall discussing it and doing what we can to strengthen our relationships in each other to to head into this. You know, it was uh, I couldn't agree more. The strengthening of the relationships and two podcasts ago having uh, um, Colonel Hawkins on, he talked about that and just the need for good 
authentic relationship building, um, regardless of the community that you live in or your belief system. It's that being able to sit down with people and develop a good relationship that leads to a greater understanding and and hopefully more peace in our community. Which ironically becomes circular because it goes back to inclusion. Yes. We have to be inclusive to foster that. So unpack that for us because you did some super high-level work um, around around the, the issue. You got chosen to go out to D.C. You were one of very few Air National Guard advisors to the Secretary of Defense. And it's kind of a mystery to me on what that actually looked like for you and what happened out there. I mean, talk about a scary first day of work, you know, <laughs> <laughs> where you got uprooted really quickly. How much advance notice did you have before you took off and left your family for six months? When I received the phone call that it was actually going to be a TDY to go out there. I had a couple of hours to decide. Wow. And off you went. And off I went. So you could say the emotions weren't necessarily running high. I didn't have enough time sure. to have them. It was just more important that you know I speak to both my husband and my daughter separately and get their concurrence that it was okay yeah. for me to go and that they supported it. And your husband was still in the guard then? Yes. And just was, getting ready to retire, right? Mm-hmm. And still a full-time firefighter for the city of Minneapolis. Wow. Yes. With one dog at home. One, one dog, one daughter. One dog, one daughter. Um. What did what did it look like? Well, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. I mean, there is nothing like, and I'm sure everyone who has been there can say the same, nothing like walking up and going up into the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. And you hear all you hear all the supportive music as if you're headed into the arena as as you're going through and I know you can't help but stop on a regular basis when you're able to and take a look at each corridor and look at the years of service of all the individuals and the sacrifices and the wins. You know, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and, and representatives. Well, the, the DOD, the Diversity and Inclusion Board that, that was set up by former Secretary of Defense Esper, was composed of 15 members of various ranks and backgrounds representing all of the services and the National Guard. That Mm -hmm. was me. You were the sole rep? I was the sole rep on the board. It's a lot of of weight. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. It is a lot of weight. And when I say various ranks and backgrounds, you know, from a tech sergeant all the way to a service secretary. And backgrounds, yes, not, not two of us had a similar background. Mm-hmm. Did that allow for more of an a equal voice at the table for each person, just being that there was such a diverse background of, um, or a varied background of, of different specialties and different ranks and or when the when the big wigs walked in, were they with the loudest voice at the table? Was everybody equal? Uh, in all of the working sessions, we were so equal that we were not referred to by rank. Really, it was board member. Oh, board member and name, and we were in civilian clothes. Yes, very equal. Um, during the board meetings, of course, following all proper protocols. But yes, we had an equal voice. At the table and all of the meetings. And so you showed up there, and I assume on day one, somebody came in and said, hey, here's why you're here, and here's what we need you to do. Was it clear what they really needed you to do in that session? I started the meetings virtually while we were working funding for me to travel out to D.C., and so I had already read through the charter and knew what our mission was, and I had no idea, though, that we would be looking at 78 recommendations. Yeah. You know, that, that piece I didn't. But I was, I was pretty clear on what, what the mission was. And well, what was the mission? The mission was to select recommendations to enhance both 
ethnic and racial diversity for the Department of Defense. Mission accomplished? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, definitely mission was accomplished. And, and I can say, too, that we, we worked as hard as we could on reviewing all of the recommendations. They were rigorously reviewed using logic models and force field analysis, design thinking. We looked at previous department initiatives as well as incorporating feedback from listening sessions that were held all over the nation. What a great study in organizational management. <laughs> right back to the master's degree, right? Yes. That's... And so and we, we collaboratively refined and vetted 15 enduring and impactful recommendations. So those recommendations have come down. Mm -hmm. There was a pretty extensive report. And, okay, let's, let's look at this on the military side of things. You brought a glossy copy for me. <laughs> um, let's, let's look at this on the military side of things. Um, we get recommendations from a higher headquarters we're in the military and they are to, these are like orders, they're directives, and we're supposed to be doing them. Why aren't we getting it right? Your opinion. Um, I, I feel like we have, and we, we've had years, of course, where we have greater diversity, and inclusion is the, definitely the tough one to truly measure overall. And so from that standpoint, as a military, and then overall, when you look at us versus society at large, absolutely, I think we have gotten it right. We, I think we are paving the way for the rest of society. I mean, we are inclusive, and we, we have continued to be on the forefront through time. And I think with these initiatives, as well as the refocus and... You know, if everybody is on the same page feeling that, you know, true inclusion is an imperative for cohesive teamwork, then we will continue to lead society. When you say we've been on the forefront, mm -hmm. um, historically speaking, um, the military desegregated before the country did. Mm -hmm. uh, is that what you're referencing? Mm -hmm. Yet we still struggle with, and you talked about, people feeling a certain way. And we are a more inclusive organization now than we have been in the past. Some of the recommendations that came out of this, they're really great. It makes it easier for people to serve that want to serve their country. Um, where do we go from here? I mean, some of these recommendations are, um, they're good changes and, and they're changes that we need, but having been there for six months and that, awesome work that got published, got sent down. What do you think is next? That we continue on our path and continue the conversation. Because there are probably many times, and I was, I, I became aware of things that I wasn't aware of during the listening sessions, of, of obstacles that people face, or maybe even it's an obstacle that they believe is there whether it is or not. So we have to keep the conversation going to find out and to provide the information and the opportunities. Are we good at that conversation? No, it's a tough one. Yeah, this goes right back to, you know, how do you approach the emotions surrounding the George Floyd events with your mm -hmm. family? Right. And then we come to work and we want to have these conversations with our airmen, with the people that we work with, that we supervise and that supervise us. Are we getting better at having those conversations? I think we are. Do you think we're getting better at those conversations? Oh, that, see, I'm asking the questions <laughs> today. <laughs> I, honestly, uh, Jessica, when it comes to the, are we getting better, we're having the conversations, and that just was something that as, uh, um, as an average white male in his 50s, I haven't been good at those conversations, but I try. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that we've gotten to the point where we can say, I'm actually trying rather than just not. Um, some of us, that's that's the first step on the road to success. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, and just continuing with the conversation. I, th I think that's a huge point. 
We're, we're talking about things that are hard. Mm -hmm. That's what our former Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force wanted people to do, is just have the candid conversation that is hard um, and do it in a respectful way. Mm -hmm. Have a relationship where we care about each other. I think in the Guard we do that really, really well. We've been working out here since 2007. <laughs> it's kind of a family out here. You it definitely is. How many relatives work out here? Uh, that's a serious question. Yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> so so right now I have two relatives that are working out here and for a while had well at one point we had what five five of us, four or five of us out here. Yeah. All with the same last name. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's great because your husband worked out here, your brother-in-law, sister-in-law, nephew. And now niece, niece has joined. Just as joined. Well. Yes. And my my other sister-in-law, the eldest, uh, also was out here and finished out her career with maintenance. That is great. Yes. It's incredible. It's a great place to be. What would mm -hmm. what advice would you give somebody who was thinking about whose son or daughter was talking to them about joining the Guard, what would you tell that parent? I, I would tell them a few things. One would be would be similar to what, what I talked about, what brought me in, is you know, go over and talk to some of the people. Because the people can often sell it more than anything. Um, the incredible connection that you would have with individuals for years to come from all over various backgrounds just with military affiliation mm -hmm. and there have been times you know in airports where you know I don't know the person sitting next to me but eh, based on a haircut or based on a couple of things and then you notice you know a few items that they have and eh, that's a military item you know and eventually if you're talking about the weather you now you know, you have this service in common. You have something to talk about, whereas you might not have anything else. Um, just the incredible feeling of accomplishment, too. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, opportunity, because uh, opportunities to work on programs and to develop public speaking skills, whether we want to or not. Yep. <laughs> so many benefits that... You know, you, you can't even put a price tag on to joining the military. It's, it is, uh, it has been a great thing. Mm -hmm. I think you would convince any parent it's a, a good place to go if you knew your son or daughter wants to develop and build some good relationships. Um, one of the great things about the Air Force and the Guard is that we not only train people to do their job, but we also give them an indoctrination into the culture of our organization your professional military education. And this has been a passion of yours for years out here, working with uh, training and education. Um, why do you think that professional military or the organizational part of our training is important to us? Because we're able to develop skills and abilities that aren't easily taught in a classroom. You know, with the years of experience in the military, like the public speaking example, you know, maybe you, you start out and you provide a little bit of training or a briefing, and then you have opportunity after opportunity. And before you know it, you're able to go ahead and provide, you know, large level briefings to many individuals. You can go to the Pentagon and talk to the Secretary of Defense for six months. Would, yeah. you, would you have ever thought about doing that in 2007 when you took the full-time oh, no. job? No. And even even in 2020, when I received the call, I never thought I would be selected for that. Mm -hmm. And my PME definitely paid back with knowing exactly what to say. Good morning, Madam Secretary. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> that, it's a it's a it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty amazing thing that you were able to do. And you know, you're absolutely right that the extra skills that we give people for coming out here, um, it's just this small steps at a time where we develop them into the into our cultural norms, but also they learn their jobs. And you've tracked thousands and thousands and thousands. Of people through their career out here, which is pretty
pretty doggone awesome to say, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, we're going to take a break. I'll reintroduce you. I've, I've been talking with Senior Master Sergeant Jessica Todd uh, about all kinds of things regarding her experiences uh, heading out to D.C., as well as uh, some of the great things that she's done out here at the base. We'll take a break and be right back. Hi, my name is Sergeant Jeff Sprick with the Minnesota Air National Guard Recruiting Team. I'm your new 133rd Airlift Wing Retention Office Manager. My role is to work with individual members to ensure they are receiving entitlements, benefits, career growth, and new opportunities with the Air Guard. Uh, we do this to help maintain and keep our most qualified and motivated members. You can reach me at 612-910-1187 and we do have some exciting bonus opportunities coming down the pike. Welcome back. I've been talking with Senior Master Sergeant Jessica Todd um, about all the great things that she's done and last segment we talked a little bit about the conversation that just needs to happen and whether we're getting this right and what we can do better and uh, we were talking in the break a little bit more about how we can do better and what we're really missing and um, expand on that where can we go from here so once we do have that conversation also being willing to find out more or potentially taking it on and championing you know, a potential initiative for change. Um, but even more than that, you know, if you see something that is non-inclusive or you have a recommendation, you know, if you see, if you see something that, that isn't working out for the benefit of all, let you say something and stand up. Is this a good place for social justice? Is the military a good place for social justice to be practiced well? Oh, um, if done in balance appropriately, yes. I mean, I, I truly believe that we, we do that to some extent just to maintain standard, right, mm -hmm. where we might call each other out. You know, if somebody's walking on the flight line with their hat on, it truly shouldn't matter. The rank of the two individuals, whoever notices it, should be the good wingman and call it out. Because it's a safety hazard, it's a, right? It's a safety hazard, yeah. So this should be a safe place for everybody to work. Absolutely. And our culture, what we train people in, is one where people can, uh, like you say, call it out. If something's wrong, you say something, um, mm -hmm. regardless of, of, of rank or position or title or, or anything like that. When you think of somebody in uniform, when I think of somebody in uniform, going into Memorial Day, um, you think of somebody that is brave. What does mm -hmm. bravery mean to you? Bravery is when you're willing to face discomfort or danger for the cause. You're, you're willing to do it. You have your, your heart and soul in it. You know it's the right, the right thing to do. The right thing to That's do? I see it. Picking up mm -hmm. and leaving your family for six months and either deploying or going someplace where you're completely uncomfortable and have to say good morning, Madam Secretary. and Absolutely. That's, that's hard. It, it is hard, but if, if we have built good relationships, we have a strong foundation, we should be able to find ways to be resilient and to maintain that relationship even during times of physical distance. And Robin deployed numerous times, seven, and participated in nearly all of the campaigns that we participated in during his time that he was here. And there, there were TDYs upon TDYs on top of regular flying. And so I think, you know, having, maybe having that experience gave us a leg up too. But it's if you have good communication, established with all your family members and you have that foundation built that you would be able to weather and and be stronger for it and more resilient. So you brought up your husband uh, who was a flyer um, so he flew on the planes in the back mm -hmm. right um, and you mentioned TDYs. TDYs for us is a temporary temporary duty that's not super long uh, but it's still time away from the family. How did you what were some of the skills that you exercised as a family to stay connected 
when he was gone that you're going to carry into this deployment that you're going to. <laughs> Absolutely. I will certainly do my very best to maintain that. But to set regular times or to establish a schedule for communication. And certainly, if you have a free moment even to pick up a pen and paper and just write a letter and send it, because sometimes it's just really nice to have a handwritten letter with genuine sentiments. Is that a lost skill? I, I think it is. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> dusted off that skill while I was in the National Capital Region, for sure. Still sent letters. Yes, yes, and cards. You guys kept cards. them all? No. Some people just hoard those things because each written word is precious, but uh, others are just like, this is really cool, and off it goes because you want to keep a clean and organized life. Mm -hmm. Special ones have been kept through the years, though. Yeah. Yeah, there are some that, you know, take you back to a specific memory and or that you know really were heartfelt. Yeah, those are in a lockbox. <laughs> Won't that be great to go through when you two are 80 years old and sitting back reminiscing on the great mm -hmm. years in the military? Um, you're getting ready to leave for six months, mm -hmm. and you are gonna be, what's your job gonna be deployed? I will be in an education center as well as serving with postal and services. Okay, so you'll have people that you're managing and leading. Yes. That you have not met. Some of them you have, right? Right. Okay. Um, a good number of our own folks, yes. But some you just haven't and you're gonna have to create a team running, we hit the ground running on day number one and create a team because you're gonna be leading these people. How do you do that? What are, you, you've got that master's degree in organizational <laughs> management and here you go leaning on it again, but. How do, you, how do you create a, an effective team really quickly? Well, first off, I think I'm, I'm getting a leg up to begin with because we have leaders as well within our own team that are going and who already have skills in those areas. But how do you do that? Well, I'd establish a game plan right away. Let them know what your expectations are. Let them, let them know that you're there for them as well, and I really hope that everybody on the team is able to accomplish a couple of goals while they're there, whether it be an educational goal or a fitness goal. You know that, you know everybody has something else that they're working towards besides you know our main focus of our mission while mm -hmm. we're out there. So that we're getting a lot of things done at once, and we can all feel great about our accomplishments. Do you have a goal for this temporary or this deployment? I want to, yes, I have a couple of them. One is a fitness goal, and the other one is SEJPME, the second one. Okay, unpack that acronym that you just used there. <laughs> Senior Enlisted Joint Professional Military Education. Yes. Okay, so this, in a nutshell, is how well we can work with other uniformed service members from maybe a different branch. Absolutely. Right? And we train specifically to that, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to finish both of those? Well, finish finish physical training, right? Or just continue to enhance. Yep, okay. And yes, and then finish the second course. I enjoyed the first one a lot, and I haven't felt like I could carve out the time to do it, and I'm going to make myself carve out the time. Good for you. It's not it's not an easy or a necessarily long course. Um, but yeah, it takes a little bit of work, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. But you're a lifelong learner. And we were talking about this before we got going here. Finishing your PhD? I would like to, yeah. That what? would be the next the next step. So there's another goal while I'm gone is to narrow in exactly what I want to do when I grow up. Mm -hmm. What What's life after a military career look like? And where do I want to go? And maybe even start prerequisites if, if, it, if I'm able to do that. Wouldn't it be nice? So... We all have a rank out here, then we have our names, so where does doctor fit in that? When you finish your PhD, <laughs> does the doctor go before the rank or the after? Je ne sais pas. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be interesting to find out, right? And yet we, we put so much emphasis on, on good training, good education, and the military has been such a great way of giving people that additional 
uh, head start in their own education. I mean, it's paid for. These benefits are terrific. And if you're somebody like yourself that's motivated to be a lifelong learner, why wouldn't you, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think even better is that I've really had a privilege to work with individuals who maybe only needed to take a class or two to finish CCAF. And you know, in many of those situations, they weren't particularly excited about going back to school. And you know, they weren't about the time, the ability, everything. It had been a while. So they were questioning how well they would do because it had been a while since they'd been in school. And then when you have some of those individuals come back who now are finishing their bachelors and they're bragging you know mm -hmm. they they come in and show you their report card and you know maybe only said a couple of things and they just ran with it but how wonderful is that that you're providing somebody an opportunity to earn an A or to go that step further and then they just run with it and take off mm -hmm. it's a great great feeling out here what so you're gonna get a chance to supervise people that are new in their career, and you work with people that are new in their career here. What's the advice that you give to each airman that joins our organization or each airman that you get to lead? To take opportunities, um, to, to work with their supervisors and trainers to fully understand whether it be a specific way of doing a process or um, any of the, the safety concerns or additional requirements paperwork-wise or whatever that need to be done to fully understand the task. Since we are, you know, we're pretty much signing an agreement when we do certify a task that we fully understand it. Because once we have that solid foundation, then we can start working toward even greater enhancement, even greater efficiency. And that's when, that's when things get better and better from there, is if we have that solid foundation to work with with those new folks. But yeah, going back to what I first said, take those opportunities. Because mm -hmm. sometimes you think, oh, you know, I have all this other stuff going on, I'm not sure. but. Individuals who have taken the opportunities, for example, going in resident to PME, they come back and they tell us what a wonderful experience it so, was. So this is when we can go to a, one of those formal schools that doesn't necessarily teach us our job, but it teaches us how to be in the military and the Air Force and the Air National Guard, that professional military education. And people can go to those in residence, just like a college campus. Yes. Or they can do them at home in the comfort of their living room, which we've gotten good at, right? We have. But there's still a value to that. There's definitely a great value to going in resident. And we've even had a couple of individuals who wanted to become a part of the cadre, wanted to be a part of the staff and go back and teach after going in resident to PME. So I think that, that says quite a bit. Yeah. About our resident PME. Um, sometimes that's that's tough, especially for our airmen these days. That uh, like you were balancing a corporate career with Target and Best Buy when you were um, before you came out here full time. Uh, it, we've gotten better at that distance learning thing. What's the best innovation that you've seen in the education and training section that the military has gotten right, in your opinion? Taking the distance learning to the next level where we have interactive courses as well as courses that allow for collaboration even if you are a distance learner. Mm -hmm. I think that's where we've gotten it right and we have some interactive qualification training packages or their, their programs to provide training on a skill and the interactive ones are amazing. I mean, you're actually performing it. But of course, you know, if there's anything that could be improved or better, the system is letting you know and giving you those those tips as you go. It's been uh, it's been good to see. I mean, I when I went through my professional military education, it was a paper book, <laughs> study it, and then go take a test, and then you had to wait for your results. So it's been a while. And to think now. You know, even if you're in a newer course, 
you, you don't have to schedule a test. You're not coming up to the testing office anymore. You're testing from potentially the comfort of your living room. You're getting your results right away. And so that, that is definitely a leap ahead. And so certainly going back to the opportunities, that would be why I would encourage particularly newer, younger members overall to go in resident when you know, there's a possibility that life hasn't gotten to the point where it's that fast yet, where you have a full family and a career and still going to school. Hopefully, if, if life is, is a little slower pace, then you can go because you know in the future there'll just be more added to your plate. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing, and, and thinking a little bit about our culture out here, most of the young people that are joining the military this year have gotten really good and very comfortable with the distance learning thing. So do you think it's going to start to become more of a push just to get them to take that chance and go in residence? It may be more of a challenge for the supervisors to promote those opportunities. And I hope it ends up being an easy sell, though, Yeah. to have you know even greater collaboration. We all, I think we all know it's still hard to do virtually, even if you have the opportunity, as, as well as just getting extra tips and tricks and, you know, the stuff that happens in the conversations as people are walking out the door and unfortunately miss those. Yeah, and the value of the relationships mm -hmm. in, in, in the communication, like we talked about in the earlier segment, it's just, as an organization, it's so important for us to develop good relationships with one another so that when something is going wrong we see something bad that it's not just hey this is not right mm -hmm. but hey I care enough about you to want this to be right in our organization Absolutely. getting our young folks to to understand hey there's good value in that mm -hmm. it's not just about getting the certificate on the wall or getting that check in the box um, so Second part of the of the podcast, we usually kind of shift gears a little bit. You roll your eyes already. <laughs> Trust me, these are fun, and and I get to ask some really random random questions. So, all right, uh, rapid fire questions. I promise I'm not going to stump you. You'll probably do really well. You ready for this? <laughs> probably. Okay. Favorite comfort food? Crackers. Lake time or pool time? Lake time. Favorite zoo animal? <laughs> giraffe. Movie that makes you cry? Oh. Mm. I pass. <laughs> <laughs> Colonel Scar did that to me. That's not fair. Okay, you get the pass. Uh, 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 we'll go back, back to, to it. it. Don't worry. What would you rather go without, a cell phone or a notepad? Go without? Yeah. Uh, the cell phone. Okay. See, I, I had to question it, though. Yeah, I know. you got to think about that one. <laughs> Movie that makes you cry? I, I, I can't even. There's, there's, too, there's too many. Too many movies that have made me cry. Huh. Anything with the uh, a great cause sentiment, you know, and you know, just like with Rudy, who then, you know, achieves at the end, and that that stuff makes me. cry. Rudy makes me cry too. That's that's a good one. Okay, so uh, you said lake time. Mm -hmm. Which lake? Mm. Probably not really like then. How about we go river? <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Explain that. I mean, we're we got ten thousand lakes to choose from in Minnesota, right? <laughs> isn't, so. it, isn't it even higher? It is more than Actually, that. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And there's a whole ton of no-name lakes. Too. Yep. Uh, river. Uh, grew up in Bayport, out on the Saint Croix River, a lot growing up, and you know, living in Arden Hills now. Also, lots of lakes right around us. Yep. My husband and I love to go hiking, walking, all of that. And, you know, we, we prefer doing it around a setting with a body of water that preferably isn't enclosed in plastic or cement. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> nice, isn't it? Although I was, 
was talking about our uh, our COVID retreat at, at the Legvold House where we sit in a hot tub each night, and that's that's pretty doggone good. Um, do you guys have a boat? No. Okay. Right, but, but it's hiking and walking around the water. Walking, yeah, but don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I would love to have a pool as well, and we've had plans for that for many years. Hopefully we will. But certainly into retirement, my husband and I do want to live by a body of water and then have the boat yeah. as well. There is something soothing about mm-hmm. having a cup of coffee, but that nice, yeah. beautiful water out in front of you. Maybe just go sit out on the dock and drink the cup of coffee, too. Absolutely. Dip the toes in the water a little bit, cool <laughs> off early. Okay, so uh, here's the next one. In doing the research for the podcast, you share a birthday with a famous former senator from Iowa that people in our generation remember as Gopher from the Love Boat, Fred Grandy. Did you watch The Love Boat growing yes. up? Yes. Okay, so Gopher has huh. the same birthday as you, Jessica Todd. And now I'm thinking of the theme song, The Love Boat. You going to sing? Dun, dun, dun. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you, were, uh, if you were on the Pacific Princess and had one beverage to drink for the whole week, what would it be? Margarita. Oh, nice. What's your guilty pleasure TV show? Grey's Anatomy. Really? Yeah. Is it still on? They just did a redo of it, didn't they? Uh, I, I've been watching it on Netflix when I, that's, you know, just want to completely zone out. But otherwise, I love some of the documentaries that are out there and love to learn about, you know, new or alternative, you know, medical treatments or non-medical alternative treatments, you know, all kinds of stuff. Love to watch those shows. Cool. Um, so... You're sitting on the love boat. You're talking with your friend, Fred Grandy, Gopher, and he was going to share something that probably nobody out there knows, and that was he was the best man at Richard Nixon's daughter's wedding. Really? Yeah. You know why? Why? He was uh, David Eisenhower Jr.'s roommate in college, and that's who married Nixon's daughter. So what's... What's an interesting fact about you that nobody would know that you're willing to share on the podcast? An interesting fact that no one would know. Um, Well, I've shared it recently, but people didn't know up until about my husband's retirement, probably. Uh, I suppose some people know this, but I'll I'll just go for this one anyway. And if you want another, (laughs) I'll give it, I'll provide another. But, uh, the very first time I saw my husband, I saw this this gorgeous Viking loadmaster. You know, so he was on the reserve yeah, side as yeah. a loadmaster at the time, and I just could not take my eyes off of him. I just you got love struck. Yeah, it was the just the strangest just stare, and I just I couldn't do it. And I would look away a little bit, and then I just I was fixated back on really <laughs> on him. Yes. He didn't even have you at hello. It was just a glance. That spark is still there today. Yes, that absolutely. I'm, I'm very, very, very lucky. Yeah. And although that, that round didn't work, I mean, we definitely we chatted on the aircraft, and then afterwards we sat and chatted after when we came back to Minnesota. But... Um, it was it was just a miss. I I didn't I didn't know he was in the reserves and I was in the guard. I I thought we were we we're on the same base, right? So right. we would all be here at drill at the same time. Yeah, I'll see you and you know we'll 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 go to the club or something. And yeah, no, we didn't see each other for years. And then you know I would I would end up getting engaged, and. Robin had come in to med group for a physical because he was going to come over now to our, the good I was, side. I was going to ask, <laughs> did you get him over here? No, but I'm confident that his brother and sister-in-law had a very large part in that to get him to the right side. 
And I walked right up to him. I was so excited to see him and happy and how are you and everything. And, oh, look, no, I just got engaged. And I showed him the ring. And he, he wasn't bashful or anything about it. He just dead-faced said back to me, I missed my chance. And that stuck wow. in my memory. And it would still it would still be another big chunk of time before we would end up dating, but wow. <laughs> that, that is a great love story. I, I Lisa and I should have had you you two on for our uh, Valentine's Day special, maybe this coming year. Okay. That's such a great story. Um, what happened to the engagement? Now I'm dying to no. know. <laughs> Honestly, it just it's it really didn't work out. We were good friends, but there were a lot of life differences. Mm -hmm. And you know, as we were talking about building a relationship, there were things in that relationship that were non-existent. There wasn't a good mutual understanding. There weren't the same core principles that were shared, and so yeah, it fell apart. We're still friends, but. Oh. Could the friendship continued, but now you have somebody that you can do projects around the house with and communicate with. And it's amazing. Isn't that great? Yeah. It, it's phenomenal to be able to work on a house or just replace the ice maker together. Ice maker, you would think that would be an easy task, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of pull it out, put it back in, but no, you have to take all the parts. You have to keep all the exterior and you pull it apart so that you can replace just the innards of the working ice maker. It took, it took hours, but with two people, and, and we, we have a pretty good system set up on how we work together, we were easily able to get that taken care of in the many home projects, which have been great, and I think are, are a strong contribution to our relationship. Through that. Yep. Mutual struggle of home improvements. <laughs> so true. We were talking about that before the podcast started about uh, home improvement and how that is just a great exercise in being a good couple when you can do that. Um, hey, Jessica, I want to say thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, and you, you said you had some closing mm -hmm. shots, and I'll let you do that before I, I sign things off. But uh, before we start going over time... Um, I wanted to say thanks for coming on to the podcast, being on Beneath the Wing, and being such a great part of the family that we have out here. And good luck on your deployment. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. And I have enjoyed many years of conversations with you and lots of developmental opportunities, which I'm appreciative for. But I, I sincerely thank our wing leadership as well as our state leadership and both the former and present chiefs of the National Guard Bureau for the opportunity to serve on the Department of Defense Diversity and Inclusion Board. I appreciate their commitment to diversity and inclusion by ensuring that we had representation not only on the board but also on the task forces, the, th the think tank and the support team. Absolutely. And good, such good work came out of it. Still good work to come. Um, thanks again to all of you for joining us on Beneath the Wing. I'd like to take a moment to say thanks to Amy Lovegren for her production and distribution expertise. And give a special thank you to Senior Airman Maya Mikesell for her work getting this project started and her production assistance. Maya's taken a step away from Beneath the Wing's regular production coordination um, and is passing the torch on uh, to help keep me in line getting these podcasts going. Uh, so thanks to Maya for her excellent, excellent work on the podcast. And for all of our current and former military members, since we're releasing this around Memorial Day, I hope you had a really great one. Thanks for your service, and we'll see you next time on Beneath the Wing. <laughs>